We put before you the vision picture that's the vision process of our church. First of all, worship. Community and discipleship, which is our focus today. And then outreach, which we'll talk about next Sunday. If we can get this lane right, community and discipleship, then only heaven can record the influence. In a Pentecostal church, history has shown us that we, we can do pretty well at coming to church. But community and discipleship, which is then being the church, has sometimes been our struggle. We could have the Spirit of God at work in our gathering to where the church could grow numerically, but the health of the church didn't always keep pace with the attendance of the church. And so if we can really put our hearts in God's Word today and let it be the lead for how we will respond in this area of community and discipleship, it will be a blessing to us personally and to us as a church and to our community. And so I want that for us. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, I'll be reading several verses here in just a moment. Do you remember my fourth grade Sunday school teacher? Oh, we're going to have a good time today. I feel my people with me already. She was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. Her name was Sister Westerfield. And she had a passion for God. And she really loved us. She had an energy for God's word. And she wanted to make it come alive. To where when we thought about God's word, we didn't think about something that was a drudgery or boring or you just had to kind of plod through. She had a way of making it the very essence of life. As I reflect on that experience, now being 45 years old, uh, first of all, it's hard to remember any of that. Uh, secondly, I remember how, how shaping it was to my view of God. And that's the most important thing about any of us, is our concept of God. And if you've been privileged to have in your history people that prayed and worked really hard for you to have a biblical concept of God, you've got a lot to be thankful for. I'm grateful for people like Sister Westerfield. And so I've given you a couple stories, kind of the back-to-back teaching of her ministry to us and so let's come now to that next Sunday as we walked in she said get out of your seats and push them against the wall I'm thinking here we go again illustrated sermon we get to be the sheep and we're going to be on all fours crawling around this classroom as she quotes scripture and then walks us to the chalkboard the flannel board she would walk us down the hallway out in the grass I thought one time she was going to have us eat grass like an actual sheep but she didn't do that this day she said look just sit down in the floor And she sat down on the floor with us. And she began to open her heart. Her introduction was to reveal that she had brought enough donuts to class that day to feed us to the full. In my hometown, there was an awesome donut shop. Do all of you have like your favorite donut shop? You like Krispy Kreme? I want to tell you, this was back before the days of Krispy Kreme. But this donut shop, they got it right. I mean, straight from God. Those donuts will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I know. And uh, so she gets out these donuts. They were called Irish-made donuts. And she opened the box, began to pass them around, and we took out one. She goes, oh, no, get more than one. And we ate. I ate like five. Honestly, I could do it. And 
everybody was just, we ate all the donuts we could possibly eat. And then she said to us, let me, let me talk to you about life. As she held up a donut in front of us, she says, you're all full. She said, the problem is your, your fullness didn't come in a healthy way. She said, the older you get, you're going to realize that these have long-term presence. <laughs> but they have no long-term benefit. She's the first person who ever told me that there's absolutely nothing good for you in a donut. It took me 30 years to get that message into my heart where I didn't eat them as much. She says they have long-term presence but no long-term benefit and now you're full but you didn't arrive at that fullness in healthy ways. And she said, here's the deal. As you grow up in Jesus, you're going to be careful. You have to be careful to know whether or not your fullness is a result of eating spiritual donuts or whether or not you're really healthy spiritually. I want our fullness as a congregation not to be because we're on the succulent side of Christianity, but then it doesn't last until we get to the parking lot. And you can always know if it lasts until you get to the parking lot because you know how you are when you're leaving, when someone cuts you off just a little bit. And you know they didn't get saved. You know theirs is far from God. And you're thinking they should stay for the 12 o'clock service because they obviously are hell-bound and they need Jesus. And so you can tell... You can tell if the fullness has any like substance to it to really make a difference in everyday life. It's been a burden of mine that this gathering would transfer over into what happens at home and what happens at work and school and in the context of everyday life. And it shows up to impact the way we act and react so that there's transformation going on. That illustration of spiritual donuts provides the perfect way for me to remind you that these core values, that's the substance. The core values is where we live in a fullness that's healthy and influential. Worship, community and discipleship and outreach. We don't run on one lane or the other. We're running on all of them all of the time. So I challenged you last week about worship, experiencing God. Now I want to talk about experiencing God in the context of connection and community and spiritual growth. With your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, notice in verse 42, it says, all the believers, notice how inclusive, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so there's truth that's prevailing, and notice, and to fellowship. There's truth and love, always a combinational power in a great church, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So in the context of truth and love, the power of the Holy Spirit was performing miracles. And all the believers met, notice they met together, all of them, in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together. At the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Just rehearse in your mind how many times it references that they were together. 
in fellowship. The, the importance of community. Now, this church, this New Testament church, this first church, they were on fire for God. They were connected to each other. They were growing spiritually, so their witness was powerful. So powerful that by the time you get to the ninth chapter of Acts, there are thousands of people in the church. And this very evil man, Saul of Tarsus, gets saved. He is now part of this family. And he becomes a passionate servant and witness for Christ. It's like as passionate as he was to dishonor God and to live an evil life, that same passion times ten was turned on to honor God and advance the kingdom of God. And so you see him starting to plant these churches and he goes into Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he plants a church. And I want you to see what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Take your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians. Let's begin at verse 19. And notice how he continues this process of community and discipleship. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. Notice the contrast. Because Ephesians 2 is all about contrast. At the beginning, it says you were dead, but now you're alive because of Christ. You were really separated, but you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You were, it says here in verse 19, you were foreigners, you were aliens, you were disconnected. But because of Christ, you are now citizens with all of God's holy people. If you're saved, what that means is you're part of the kingdom of God. No one's saved and left outside because somehow they don't meet the criteria. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you are part of the citizenship of the kingdom of God. It's powerful. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's, notice the description, God's family. We are called here in Ephesians a family. And when you're saved, you are brought into that family. And that's where along in our history, we started calling people brother or sister. Now, it's become Christianese. And people who've never been in church, they have no clue. And so when they come into church, they're listening to you greet those that you've been going to church with. And you're saying, hey, brother. Hey, sister. And and they're trying to put this together. And it comes right from the scripture. Because we are now part of a family. We're not a crowd. We are a congregation. We are a family of God. We are knit together all because of the cross. We are a cross-centered people, a cross-centered family. I know in, in our lives, we have some difficult times in our church journey. Have you ever had a problem within the church, with people of the church? Don't say anything right now. Just really say, just to, it's just to pause and reflect. You go, Selah. And then we just move right on. See, we get in a tar pit if we start thinking about things like that. Sister Westerfield say, oh, to dwell with the saints above, now that will be glory. But to dwell with the saints below, that's another story. And you know what I'm talking about. Because none of us are perfect. You have your own family. Kelly, Ryan, Lindsay, Connor. We are family. And at times we bounce off of each other. And we don't 
get it right. And, and there are issues and tensions. And we don't diss one another just because there's a problem. We work it out. We walk it out. We don't fight. We've never fought. Several intense moments of fellowship. But we've never fought. You work it out. You, you don't get another family just because there are issues. You work them out in a spirit of love and forgiveness. You work through it. Hey, hey, don't diss the church just because there's an issue. And I know deep pain can come from the church. We've all experienced it if you've been in church for very long. You can get hit by what I call friendly fire. Man, it's tough when those you trusted hurt you. It cuts deep. However, there is a grace for that. Notice it says here that we are all part of this family because of Christ. We were adopted. That's a great theological word. At salvation, the reason we're made family members is because we are adopted. We become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's a powerful part of salvation. And so we're in this incredible, incredible family. Here's what I see Paul saying. Let's continue to read. We are carefully joined together in him, that's Christ, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of, watch this, this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now we're starting to move to spiritual growth. Because this community and spiritual growth, they, they work together. Matter of fact, I don't know how we get an idea if we're growing spiritually if we don't have a home church. Because it's within the context of the church if you can assess if you're growing or not. I'm by nature really impatient. How many of you say, I'm with you? I, I want it to happen yesterday. You know, and when things don't unfold the way you want, you get impatient and that's not good. Because the fruit of the Spirit is patience, of which I have none. But I'm growing. Hallelujah. Uh, I want you to see that it's within the context of people where you realize if you're patient. If, if I'm just a Christian to myself, I don't know if I'm as joyful, meek, long-suffering, kind, faithful as I should be. If people have been disenfranchised with the church, that's just the work of the devil to keep them from ever knowing where they are spiritually because the work of the Holy Spirit in us, one of the greatest ways to determine it is by what's happening between you and me. You and that person. You know, if you can praise him on a Sunday, let me use a pastoral reference. You ever heard of Youngie Cho? Like pastor of one of the largest churches ever in church history. He and his wife were about to build another house. And she said, oh, let's just move in the pulpit. He said, what? Yes. She said, just build a big pulpit. Let's live in the pulpit. She, he goes, what are you talking about? He, she said, the Cho behind the pulpit is a lot more fun than the Cho at home. <laughs> no, no, no. Selah. Selah. <laughs> so what she's saying is, it was in the context of the relationship that there was a measure. There was a way to assess Hey, we need each other. We need the church. We need this context. We need community. Now, it's powerful when you think about how Christ described us. He said, we are the light of the world. I read about this analytical chemist who 
who worked with light and studied light and the power of light and what happens when you can synchronize light. Because light is just shooting everywhere all of the time. And if you can somehow synchronize it, it becomes so powerful that we now call it a laser. And think about all you can do in the power of a laser. That's just synchronized light. Think about how Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And if we can get in community, if we can get in sync, if we'll do this journey together, if we will lock arms and say, hey, we're God's people. And we're not going to diss each other over the first little challenge that comes along. We have locked arms. We are a faith family. And we're going to walk this out until Jesus comes. That becomes laser-like in its influence. And here's what Scripture says. The gates of hell will not prevail against a church like that. There will be healing power in a church like that. This will be a a house of forgiveness. This will be a house of mercy, a hospital for the sick, an influential place of renewal and restoration when we are in community. Here's the challenge. If we just want to be friends but not family members, then we're going to be taking in spiritual donuts. And when we get into the challenges of doing church... We're not going to have the depth of relationship we need to be for each other and this community what God has called us to be. We need each other. And we need each other in a biblical context. This community needs us because there's nothing more powerful in our witness than a watching world to see people who have learned how to work it out and walk it out, seasoned by grace, empowered by the Spirit. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out in twos. If Jesus was a baseball coach, there would be two people who play first base and two people on second base and two people playing shortstop. He would send them out in twos, not because one could not hold down the position, but two is better than one. And as a watching world, watch how they relate to each other, how they are kind to each other, forgiving, spurring one another on to good works. That's what the world wants. And one of our greatest attractions to the cross is the love of God operative among the people of God. So, we are challenged here with community. Is it going to be just a quaint idea? Is it going to just be kind of like a church strategy? Or is it going to be an essential part of our journey together? Doing community. We're providing all kind of opportunities where that can happen. I pray that we take this whole idea of how Acts says they were together, that word together. I hope we take the concept of being together seriously, biblically, and live it out. Can you say a good amen for that? It's the church we want to be. And then let's pick up where Paul says that through him you Gentiles, this is verse 22, being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now he moves into this whole idea of spiritual growth. So he gives us his prayer in Ephesians 3. Look at it at verse 14 down to verse 19. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you, the church, with inner strength through his Spirit, unlimited resources. That means our opportunity is unlimited. Here's the key. We need a capacity equal to our opportunity. If you take a thimble to the ocean, 
You can get a thimble's worth of water, but not anymore because that was the extent of your capacity. If you take a cup to the ocean, you can get more than you could get in a thimble, but no more than the cup will hold because that's the extent of your capacity. You can work that out to where if you took a barrel to the ocean or even a tanker, each one getting more than the last, but no more than its personal capacity. There was much more to receive, but the capacity was limited compared to the opportunity. God, over this church, as the Lord of this church, gives us a promise that for us are unlimited resources. What we need is a capacity equal to our opportunity. So how do we increase our capacity? And then Paul's going to show us it's through spiritual growth. Our intimacy with God enlarges our capacity for the presence and the power of God that all happens in the context of community. We need each other and we need God. And as we draw close to God and close to each other, we experience the work of the Holy Spirit in an increasing measure. says that from his unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Then Christ will make his home his home. That's like a dwelling where in your hearts. Notice it's an inside job. Have you ever been to a home and they had a welcome mat at the front door? But when you went in, it wasn't real hospitable. You, you felt like maybe you were intruding. You you, you weren't made to feel at home. I don't want us as a church to have a welcome mat for the Holy Spirit at the door of our hearts. But in reality, we only think of him on Sunday. We're only really interested in the activity of God on Sunday. Let's be between Sundays kind of followers of Christ. Come on, talk. Every day, every single day, if all we do is live on Sunday, it's almost like trying to live on a donut. It's like, it's like succulent, but there's not enough substance so that when you wake up tomorrow and you have to deal with the threats of the enemy and the spiritual attacks of the enemy and trying to witness to that far from God person and you're doing life and you need the sustenance of the spiritual life, then you got to have him every day. Every day. So we see in this prayer is that God makes his home in our hearts Notice we get rooted and our roots grow down into God's love. And it's that power of God's love that keeps us strong. How many of you like to drink tea and you get the water and you have the tea bag? And you, anybody here come on, talk, show hands? You like that? So some of, how many of you like dip the tea bag in? Then you put the tea bag over to the side and you drink the tea. Anybody do it that way? Okay. How many of you just drop the bag in and just leave it in there? Anybody? Yeah. So we have dippers and abiders. And here's what these, these dippers will tell you. They dip that tea bag, and you're probably one of those that takes the string and the spoon, and you got that combination. I've seen people do this. It's just an art form. And to the degree that you let that tea bag dip in and out of the water, it, it begins to transform the water. But those who are abiders, who just put the bag in the water, they're... Water is far more transformed. Some of us would say, well, that makes it too strong. Because the more it abides, the more it transforms the water and the stronger it gets. Let's bring it into the context of spiritual growth. God wants us to abide in him. 
And he wants to abide in us. We've got to fight hard at just dipping in on Sunday and dipping out. And we don't dip back in until the next Sunday. And we're, we're only content with the transformation that just dipping in and out brings. Whether when we could be abiders, abiders in the presence of God. And the presence of God abiding in us so that the strength of the church would indicate that Christ is dwelling in us richly by his Holy Spirit. That is spiritual growth, isn't it? So spiritual growth is happening. That's what we're seeing. Let's continue to read verse 18. And may you have the power to understand as watch all God's people should, inclusive again, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Again, look at the capacity. Look at the opportunity. And then verse 19, I love this first part. May you experience, experience. Experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, it's like no matter how far we go in God, there's still going to be another level because he's infinite. But it says we can experience the love of Christ. Like these past few days, I was, I was with a group of guys. We were on a trip. It was a prayer retreat. And on occasion, actually we were golfing. But anyway, uh, so... We would go to these restaurants, and we'd make reservations. One restaurant printed a menu and, like, identified our group, like, personalized the menu. We were sitting there going, look at this. And then it listed all the food, and we ordered, and we ate. And when we left there, I don't recall one guy in the whole group saying, wasn't that an awesome menu? But we were all talking about the food because the food was incredible. Why were we talking about the food? Versus the menu. Because we went there for the food. We didn't go there for the menu. As good as the waitress was at being a menu expositor. And giving us the backstory on what was offered. All to just get the menu and get up and leave. Would be to know what was available. But we never experienced the food. Well we got the menu. But we've missed the experience. Please know it's easy to come into church. And we open up the menu. And someone brings exposition. Gives us the backstory, And then we can just log it as information. We have it in our intellect. But we leave talking about the menu. Rather than leaving talking about our experience in the love of Christ. We didn't come here so that when we leave, we talk about the menu. Hear this. We're here so that when we leave, we're talking about Christ. I could tell you about the food I had at that restaurant. I could tell you about how awesome it was because I experienced it. When you leave here, you need to be able to say, I've experienced Christ. Oh, yes, you can't without truth. You can't without the context of community. But we're not leaving here, so we're impressed with the building, so we're impressed with the preacher, so we're impressed with music, so that we're impressed with the teacher. We are coming here to experience Christ through the Word. Because what you find on every page of this book is Christ. 
in every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you can find Christ. And the whole idea is to experience Christ. He's the transformer, the savior, the deliverer, the helper, the counselor, the leader. It's Christ. We've come to experience Jesus. Remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus? Jesus has died, risen again. Their hearts are troubled. They don't understand. Jesus walks up beside them. They don't know it's Jesus. He's talking to them. And and he's going like, what's wrong? Well, they've taken him. We don't know where they've put him. He's right there. And he's saying, you know, well, what about what Moses and the prophets said? I know, but they... He reminds them of the teaching. He reminds them of the lessons. But their heart is still discouraged. When he goes into their house and he sits down and they have fellowship. They experienced him. It says their hearts burned within them. How many people will come into a church today and they will get the information But where is that heart on fire? Because there's been an experience with the Christ of Scripture. With the God of the Bible. With the Christ who dwells in us by His Spirit. Let's continue on. It says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. What an awesome word. Especially when the enemy works so hard. To where our lives are fragmented. That you would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. See that fullness of life and that power that comes from God. Notice it's in the flow where we're being taught the importance of community and spiritual growth. We call it discipleship. The fullness of life. Anytime the Bible talks about the church and talks about the Christian, we're one of life. There's like this this river springing up to like a, a gusher of life. This should be the most alive place in the community. Because we've experienced life. We've gone from death to life. And John says it's life to the full. It's life abundant. It's, it's life in an overflowing kind of way. There's a fullness, that fullness of life. It's not coming from spiritual donuts. It's coming from experiencing the very substance of Christ, his character and nature as seen in the word transferred into my experience where he's real to me. This is how I understand my Sunday school teacher. She didn't know about him. She knew him. She had her commentaries. She could deal with the verbs and the nouns and she could open up and give you the context as it was in their day. And she would even come with a Greek meaning and she she loved the Hebrew and all. She had a, a deep, deep commitment to careful study. And I loved it. But it led to a life that was on fire for Jesus and in love with people. And when you were around her, you really got the idea that she loved Jesus more the next week than she did the week before. It's like she was growing in that vitality. 
And the older she got, the sweeter and the more dynamic. And I'm telling you, people lined up to, to get to talk to her on a Sunday because she had this witness. She wasn't just a wise Bible person. She was a dynamic follower of Jesus Christ. And the foundation was the word, and the experience was his love. And the result was a Christianity that made you want what she had. Thank you, Jesus. Complete, powerful, fullness of life. I'd love for that to be the description of our fellowship, of our church. That I'm growing in a fullness, a completeness and in spirit power. We're going deep in the word of God and the word of God is becoming grafted into who we are. The word is forming the way we see people, the way we see the future, the way we see ourselves. Our action and reactions are being determined by the principles and priorities of scripture. We're experiencing Jesus through his word in everyday life. As the worship team comes, Sister Westfield said to us that we would grow up thinking that the world was strong and that the church was weak. I'll never forget her saying that. And she said, some of you are going to struggle with this because you're going to see all these people at your school and it seems like they don't love God and there's just a few people loving Jesus. You see the population of our town, and yet churches are small and at times tend to be struggling. And you'll grow up with this idea that the church is weak and the world is strong. It's one of the greatest hurdles for me when I knew Christ had called me to the ministry. Was I want to be a part of something that's on fire and dynamic and moving forward and and this idea that the world is strong and the church is weak. It gave me a huge struggle as a young man dealing with the call of God. But Sister Westerfield helped me to see when Paul went into Ephesus, Ephesus, its culture of sin was strong. And there was no church. There was just a Christian who wanted to reach people. It was dominated by the Roman government. Materialism was off the charts. It was a city of commerce, idols on every corner, relics of which you can still see today. And you could have looked at it, Sister Westfield said, and said, Ephesus in its worldliness is strong and the church is weak. But she began to walk us through Ephesians and talk about this God who, while we were sinners, died for us and made us alive in Christ and brought us near by the blood and has put us into this family and took us all the way up through the end of the book where it's talking about us being warriors and putting on the whole armor of God and doing battle, being strong in the Lord and taking ground. And she took us to Revelation and showed where the church that was once on fire was losing its first love, but they were given an opportunity to get it right again. And, and how this, this church, she said, here we are. We're not talking about the Roman government today. We're talking about the church at Ephesus. She says, so as you grow up, if it seems that the world is strong and the church is weak, don't you forget who the head of the church is. And if you'll do community, 
and you'll grow spiritually, you'll be the light of the world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'd say with the world at its worst, let's be at our best. There's never been a better time to be a Christian. There's never been a better time to be a dynamic part of a local church. If you've been disenfranchised by the church, if you've seen things, heard things, had things done to you by people in the church, I encourage you to find grace for that. Because what you can't afford to miss is the power of community, the power of the Spirit in in growth and transformation in the context of the church. We need each other. It'd be so easy for us to just be a crowd. We just come and we go. Christ wants to be formed in us. Christ wants to build us into a fully functioning body, the body of Christ where we need each other and we're making a difference with who we are and the gifts we have connected with the gifts and talents of those around us. Where we have prayer partners who have connected and said, hey, when it gets tough, I'll pray for you. On your good days, I'll celebrate with you. On your tough days, I'll cry with you. We'll worship together. We'll pray together. We'll serve together. We'll make a difference together. Together. Keyword is together. We'll experience God. We'll experience God together. That's why I call on us to worship passionately and to not see community as just kind of like a ministry that some people are involved in but as a core value of the church and without it we don't have the substance and the strength for the demand that is placed upon us in the journey. That spiritual growth is not just for some people. What's this idea of getting saved and somebody just putting their Bible on the shelf The Bible knows nothing. The Bible knows nothing of the Christian who gets overwhelmed by grace and saved and then gives no thought to transformation, spiritual growth. Oh, my friend, Paul concluded this portion of Scripture talking about the one who is exceedingly abundantly above anything. We could even imagine and that he has the ability to do that which is beyond what we ask or think. He's ready to move. If we will move together in passion for him.